0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Y'all can be seated this morning. Thank you, worship team, for that. Thank you, church, for singing out and lifting your voices in one accord and worshiping the Lord with us through song. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, as... I've been praying about where to go and what to do this morning. Lord laid these these two verses on my heart a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Notes are provided for you in your bulletin. They'll also be on the screen as well. It is a blessing to serve the Lord and to live our lives for Him. Uh, doing something a little non-traditional this morning. <clears throat> Normally if I teach to children, I have some type of illustration. I have a little can that I put things in. I've done a pencil, or a a box car, or uh, one time I did a mousetrap, and even to young adults and to to teenagers, I I try to have something that they can grab onto and hold onto, but bear with me this morning because I'm going to do that to our main adult church, big church as as our kids call it, Uh, but I hope it'll stick with you. I hope it'll help you out this morning, Um, and so uh, by way of introduction, my lately— you know I'm a routine guy. Lately my routine has changed with having a newborn. Uh, I keep Hudson on Mondays and Fridays with me, and so, so my routine, I used to get up every morning and have a protein shake, and I was real good about it. Uh, but now, as I get a little older, coffee has been my go-to thing. And so every morning I have a cup of coffee. I had one this morning while we were in here practicing. Um, and, and my favorite coffee of all time is a place in Idaho called Dutch Brothers Coffee. Okay, no one. A couple people may have had it. it's Really good. Uh, they have some in in Texas now, and they're working their way to the East Coast. Uh, in North Carolina, there's a knockoff brand of Dutch Brothers called Clutch Coffee. It's in Mooresville. Highly recommend going if you've never been. So as I was preparing this message and thinking through this this thought of a of coffee filter illustration came to my mind, and and. I told Allie just the other day, man, I would love to have like an espresso machine at the house and make me espressos and steam my milk. And I mean, I just think that would be the coolest thing, but we just we just don't. And so I've got my Keurig and I settle for my Keurig and my K-Cups and, and I'm happy with that. But as I began thinking through this and thinking through this passage, Paul sort of lays out how to filter our mind, filter our problems in life. And, and my mind went to to some coffee filters. And so I've got some coffee filters here for illustration purposes, um, and we'll talk through that. So with that in mind, if you would stand with me, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 8 through 9 this morning. The Bible says, Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue— If there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We thank you for allowing us to come and and worship you through song. And as we open your word today, that you would just give me the thoughts to say and the words to say this morning to help someone. I pray that there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. That they come to know you. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings, and in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so, as we begin this thought process of filtering life, filtering our problems of life through this filter that Paul has laid out, uh, I'm going to jump right in because I've got more notes than I thought I had as I was beginning to study and think through it. And so, the first thing we're going to look at is this God's filter as we go through the next steps in life. Now, This is a a message that as I begin preparing applied to me as a 33-year-old, and I know it's going to apply to our teenagers and young people as they go off to college and off to the workplace, but it is something that I truly believe that we can apply to our life no matter where we're 33 or 83 or 103, these are things that we can apply in our life. And so as we begin thinking through this, Paul lays out, he says, whatsoever things are true. And so I've got a true filter here. So in your mind, as we begin processing through things, as, as things come through our mind, we want to go through this filter of truth, and we want to make sure that everything that's coming through the rest of this filter would be something that is true. word true here is a definition of reliable or faithful. Uh, when we begin to focus on truth in our life and begin to think on the things that are true, ultimately— Ultimately, church, we're going to be ran, running to the Bible. The Bible is our only hope in life and death, a catechism, if you're familiar with catechisms. It's something that we can go to that, that is going to give us truth, and the more we search after truth, ultimately the more our mind should run to the Bible. The more we focus on truth, the closer to Christ we begin to get. What's going to come through this filter ultimately is going to be more of true Christianity. More of true religion that the Bible says in James, pure religion undefiled. And, and, and me personally, as a pastor, even as a 33 year old man, this has been something lately that I've had to apologize to people for. I've had to go to people and say, hey, I'm sorry I was wrong in this area. So I'm sorry I, I was, because as I begin to filter through life, things are revealed to me that are impure. And so we begin to go through this truth filter. We begin to Process our life when we begin to go, go through problems in life. What comes out of this should be truth. Move on to the second point. What is true? What is honorable? These are, are there's nothing that's going to stand out big today. It's, it's, it's pretty simple, but I think it's, it's going to be impactful. So you've got your truth filter, and then you've got to put it inside of the honorable filter. Okay, so now what's going to come out is going to go through two filtering stages. Okay, what is honorable? The word honorable means this noble, dignified, or even elevated this is the concept of things that lift you up in life things that are bringing you up toward christ you see as we go through our life as we go through the the just the culture of life the world and the problems of the world the problems of sin that adam and eve so graciously bestowed upon us brings us down It brings us down and it begins to to trouble with our minds and it begins to, to even bring down our souls to the extent of people through pandemic, our teenagers and young people have said, what is even the point of living? Because honorable truth, righteousness begins to bring people down. And so the thought here is not to bring us down to the world, but to lift us up to where Christ is at, to bring our minds up to where Christ would have us to be. One commentator said it like this as I was beginning studying this, this thought here, of honorable. And I really liked it because I'm a practical guy, hence the coffee filter illustrations that we're going through. This is what he said. Paul is literally saying, get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind. Like when I hear that, I'm like, step back for a minute. Okay. I, I get that illustration, but how many times does the world and the life that we live in bring our mind down to the world standards where God says he's got a standard that is Honorable for us, and to bring our mind up to his standard and up to his thoughts and up to where he would have us to be in our life. So, we've got the truth filter, we've got the honor filter, and then we've got the third filter here of righteousness or right. These are the things that are upright or holy. This is the thought, the things that are right there. I'm going to put this down because I need both hands for this next thought. When we go through the things that are right, I played football. I wrestled for one year. But I played football for seven years in high school and in middle school. And uh, we, first day of practice, how many of you in here played football? Wrestled? Anybody in here wrestle? Okay. Remember the old school? And some, some doctor's offices still have this, but most have gone away and they went digital. But they've got that scale that's like the death scale. You stand on it and it's like a T. Okay. And it's got the weights on it. Anybody remember? Anybody seen a scale in here before? Okay. <laughs> All right, you've stepped on it, and you look down, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to do something to change. Okay, so we've, we've seen a scale. And so I remember in football, and I stepped up on that scale, and they had this big block that went 50, 100, 150, 200, 250. You move that big block over to 200 maybe, and then you got a small one on top, and you moved it over, let's say 218. I'm not 218, but 218, and all of a sudden that scale begins to, to level out. Right? You move those scales, you move the weights around, you get it. The biblical term here would be right or justified. That's what the Bible's saying here. He's saying when you begin to process these things through life, you want to bring what is right. You want to balance the scales in your spiritual life. You want to begin to balance what is right and what is wrong. And you want to begin to get that calibration just right so as the filter goes through this process, Everything that comes out is is righteousness. The things that come out is holy. Think of it like this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, brothers, I beseech you not that you live a certain way, but be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The world wants to conform our minds. They want to change the way we think. They want to change the language we use. But Jesus says, don't be conformed to the world. As Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through filtering through what is right and just and holy and honorable. We get this third term, third, fourth term, sorry, pure. So we add our pure filter on here. This is a little more difficult than I thought it was. Pure filter. There we go. This is the thought or the term of sanctification. So justification, becoming more like Christ, but sanctification is beginning to weed out the things that don't need to be in your life. You begin to get to this point where you begin to, uh, as we go through life, you begin to pick up impure things, impure thoughts, impure actions. You, begin, you, you may have been around a, a, a kid, maybe Brody's age, a, a third grader, that comes home and, and says a word that you've never heard said in your house, but they picked it up at school. They picked it up on a website they're looking at for a school project or an ad that came across the screen. All of a sudden, they begin to hear things that you wouldn't accept in your house, but it begins to come out because they pick up things. I remembered uh, as I was thinking through this this thing of picking up impure things. Uh, Where we lived at in Rowan County, where I grew up at, we lived on a little bit of an acre of land, but behind us was hundreds of acres of trees, and there were cows on the other side. and just places where as a teenage boy and a family of five, we could spend hours and hours in this treed woodland forest and make forts, make places to stay. You know, we had a lot of fun. Now, I remember as a kid, we would go out there and we'd play and we'd have a good time, and mom would come out the back door and begin to yell, dinner's ready, a fat boy like me, dinner's ready, I'm one of the first ones back. Okay, and so i bust open the door, i take my shoes off, and i go to come in and never would forget. My mom would always say, stop where you're at. You've got dirt and things that you've picked up outside that you've got to get off of you. I wouldn't notice it, but I would look down and, and the little, I don't even know what they're called. I didn't even look it up because I didn't know what they're called. I wouldn't know where to start, but the little flower pricklies that would get stuck to your pants, okay, or, or maybe a bug that was stuck on my sock or, or whatever it may be that I was out in the woods and the environment of the woods began to stick to me. And before I could come into that house, what did I have to do? I had to get the world off of me. I had to get the plants and the bugs and the the whatever that was on my body, I had to get it off before I could come in. And God says it in the same way, if we're going to go through life's problems, if we're going to filter these things through, we've got to get the world out of our mind. We've got to sanctify our minds to be in communion with who God is, purity. The fifth thing, whatever things are lovely. Whatever things are lovely. The definition here is this, pleasing, attractive like my wife, beautiful like my wife. Okay, these are the things that it says here, lovely. No one thought that was funny. No one, no one laughed. Y'all, I think I put you to sleep. I don't know. I'm trying to be energetic. This is a comparison of the beauty of holiness to the repulsiveness of sin. The beauty of holiness, the beauty of of what God done for us when he redeemed our souls through the repulsiveness of sin in our lives. God defines holiness as this, as one commentator said, and and very clearly how Jesus says this, someone who is holy is someone who loves God and loves his neighbor as himself. That's holiness. We we, we try to make this this big, long, elaborate thing of how to be holy, but, but really when you break it down, are you loving God? And are you loving others the way Christ says that we should love them as we love ourselves? There's a a poem that I say every night to my daughter, and my son has wanted me to make one for him, and so I began to make him. It's not original to me. Don't worry. I'm not a poet by my nature, but there's this poem that I heard two or three years ago, and so I committed it to memory, and I say it every single night. I'm going to say it to you guys. Indulge me for a minute as I say this, but this is how it starts. It says, I start out by saying, darling. There's no one like you. I'm sorry, I didn't start it out right. How do I start it, Allie? I I just lost my uh, beautiful one. There's no one like you. No, that's not the start of it. Man, this is why you don't, you write things down, okay? Because I was going to try to do it by memory. Here we go. Let me think of it. Um, She always starts it for me. Allie, how does it start? So anyways, it'll come to me in a minute. I'll tell it to you okay? Because I'm a a little nervous right now. I'm not normal like this. Okay. But there's a line in there and it says, generous, be generous, kind to others. And she stopped me the other day and she said, dad, what does that word generous mean? Because as we say this every night, we go through it and she she said, dad, what does generous mean? And I began thinking, how do I explain generous to a five-year-old, six-year-old, almost seven? So trying to process this down and I said, Jade, Because she loves stuffed animals and she's got stuffed animals all around. I said, Jade, imagine Hudson were to come in here. And you've got two little teddy bears there that you sleep with every night, and he wanted to have one of those teddy bears. I said, Being generous is giving him one of those teddy bears. And this was her response: I don't want to do that. (laughs) That's my teddy bear. I sleep with that. And so all of a sudden, this, this thought of generous, I tried applying it to her life because. Generous is a thought that we do to other people that we are lovely to other people And I'll think of that here in a minute and I'll tell you the whole poem here in a second What is lovely and the last thing I've got to hurry up? What is a good report of this first part before we continue on what is a good report? This is the definition is well spoken over highly regarded Think of a time when you went to buy something that was new to you You asked your parents Before I, I make any big decision I call my dad Dad, I want to buy this car. I want to go into debt by building a house. And I began to process that through with my dad. I began to, again, use this filter system in everyday life. And I began to ask him his thoughts. I began to go through this. And so in our life, we began to to think of this concept and say, okay, what does God highly regard in our life? What does he want in our life? What is the values that God has for us? And ultimately, what is of good report? And so then Paul, as he's writing this, I, I love Paul's writings for this fact, he, he gives some practical things, but then he like nails it home with a question. It's like a, it's like a, a step back when you hear these, these things. And, and so he sort of, baseball illustration, me and Brody are working on some baseball throws and we'll go to the batting cage and I'll throw up a little softball and he'll ding it out of our, this is sort of those softball questions. And when you ding it, it's like, wow, that was good, but it hits hard. So this is how this is. You begin to go through this. What is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report goes through all these filters. There's a lot of things in life that are going to make this mark, that are going to be good and true, even in the world. They're going to fit this standard. But then Paul says, they may make that mark, but I'm going to give you two more questions to sort of ask as we go through this. And it's this, is there any virtue to it? He gets to the point. He says, is this excellent? Another way to put this is, is it morally and pleasing to God to fill our minds with these thoughts? The world wants to fill our minds with what they think is right. Darby's here. She's a social media manager, okay, or going to be a social media manager. I don't know if you've got a job yet or not. Social media has consumed our life and our thoughts. I think the average person I did this study at winter camp. It was like four or five hours of social media in a day's time that we spent on our phones. Now, one of our teenagers isn't here, so I can embarrass her. I'm not going to call her name. But we did this study, and we pulled our phones out, and we looked at our screen time. We had one teenager that had 14 hours of screen time where they were in front of this little device for 14 hours in a day. How many hours in a day? 24. Over half of their day was staring at this thing. Why is that? Because the world has understood how to consume our minds. And when we begin to process through this and we say, is this virtuous? That's why several of my friends have said, you know, I'm just, I'm getting off of social media. It's just changing the way I think. It's changing the way I act. I've got to get off of this. Because the world has perfected the way to infiltrate our mind. This filter system says, Is it virtuous? Can I have virtue through that? And then Paul says, There may be some things that fill all seven of these things. But the last one, he says, This is the true test. Is there any praise? Is what you're doing in your life, is the things that you're thinking of, is the things that you're reflecting on, is it pleasing and is it honorable to God? Is there any praise? As I began studying this, one commentary said it like this. When we think of this praise, this should be done corporately. This should be done in church. We lift our hand and we praise the Lord. It should be done privately in our own house, in our own devotion times, and, and we should begin praising the Lord, maybe with our family, during family devotions, when we begin to go through those things. But he said it also should be done around unbelievers. It's easy to come into church. Raise your hand and praise the Lord and say an amen. And it's easy, if it's easy, easy to do it when our kids are around and we're having family devotions around the table, maybe at dinner time, and to be able to say, Man, I'm so glad the Lord's working in your heart, Brody and Jade, and uh, we've got to pray for, for our, my, my stepdad, and, and we've been praying for him. And it's easy to do that around believers and around family, but are we doing this around unbelievers? Are we showing the unbelievers in the world around us that? There is also praise in our life. And so Paul says at the very end of this verse, think on these things. Brings this back again. Think on these things. This should saturate our life. This should saturate our thinking. Everything that we do through life should go through this filter and say, if it doesn't check off these things, I shouldn't be thinking about it. Each of these virtues is a description of our Lord. He was lovely, he was pure, he was right, honorable, true, lovely, good report. He had virtue, he had praise. You think about when he was standing in front of the 5,000 people that he was about to feed, and he blessed it and he broke it and he looked up to the Lord, up to his God and said, his Father, and said, Praise and bless this. Allow other people to see your goodness through this miracle. Everything he did was constantly and continually reflecting back on who God was. Was One commentary said like this, this was his measuring stick for life. Well, these eight things. And everything Jesus did in his life, if it was acceptable, he did it. And if it wasn't acceptable, he didn't do it. Through his perfect life. So are we thinking on these things? So this is, I spent the most majority of my message on these eight things, and I'm going to wrap it up very quickly. God's filter as we go through our next steps. But then the second thing here, God's fulfillment in our life. Paul lays out four practical things here of how to go through life now. He's he's given us the filter system, he's given us the way that we can process our thoughts, but now he's saying, let's practically apply it. Let's practically go through this, And, and very quickly the first is this, the things that we've learned. Paul is telling them, imitate the things that you've learned. Imitate the things that you've been told. Think of your kids. Your kids begin to imitate the things that they learn from you, their accent. Has your mom or grandma ever called and said, is that Brody or is that Jade? Who's talking on the phone? I can't tell which one's saying which because as we grow up in that household, our accents and our dialects and the things that we learn begin to merge and we sound the same. Paul was saying that as we focus on the truth of God's Word, we should imitate and follow the things that we learn from God's Word. That's the reason why at high school graduation I give out Bibles to every single graduate. It's not just so we can give them a gift and say, we gave you a gift, now go out into the world, because I truly believe that everything we do in our life should come and stem from the Bible. The things that we've learned through the Word of God should influence our actions in life. So I give them that Bible and I say, go out and read this and stay close to it, because this is what's going to change your life forever. Not getting a degree at a college, not getting uh, some, some fancy job, but the Word of God is what's going to ultimately change our life. That's why I give it to them, and I hope that they sit under that and they read under that and they're under sound preaching when they go off to college and they're not here. The things they've learned, the things they've received is number two. Here Paul is talking about reading Scripture. He, he's talking about just simply, and this is why we do it here, is simply opening just reading a passage of Scripture. That's why at every service, the beginning of the service, we get up and we just read scripture, just so you can hear it, so it can influence your mind. But it's also referring to how we train up our next generation. In our house, we began going through catechisms. know it's an old term. Allie says that she doesn't like that term because she had to learn catechisms growing up. But catechisms are a great one question, and easy response. So who is God? The creator of everything and everyone. Okay? How can we honor God, Brody? Put him on the spot. Y'all put me on the spot a minute ago. I put myself on the spot. How do we honor God, Brody? Can you tell me? No. It's your wonder this week. Are you shy now? You don't want to talk? You want to talk every other time? It's all right. How we honor God is through our actions, through honoring and glorifying him, by obeying his commands and his laws. That's how we honor God. Simple. It's easy. Helps us understand. So we receive those things. We want to pour truth and the word into our children into our next generation the question i want to ask us is this parents is this are what our kids receiving from us is it driving them to love jesus more is it driving them to follow jesus more or is it just what the world's saying to do That's the words of oprah winfrey you just do you and look at where that's got us over the last five years And so we have got to be driving our children to love Jesus more. So things learned, things received, things heard. Paul is encouraging them, these people at Philippi, to go out and to ask others what they have heard of him. As I begin studying this thought of Paul, it's been on my mind over the last, since I got back from the conference here just a couple weeks ago in, in Kentucky, someone made this statement, and they said that Paul, through all of his life, was so secure in his faith, he never lost his faith. Think about the, the people in our generation right now, how they've deconstructed from their faith and they've left their faith. And, and they made this statement, Paul was so secure in the resurrection of Jesus that he never lost his faith. I began to really meditate and to think on those things. And, and this is what the, the, some of the scripture came to me. Because I'm thinking through Paul's life, man. He went through so much. They tried to kill Paul. Paul's response was this, if I die I'm going to be present with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to stand in front of Jesus. And so this is what the people thought, well we can't kill him, if we kill him, he's just going to be happy with Jesus. And so they said, well I know what let's do, let's go out and let's torture him instead. We can't kill him, let's torture him. And then Paul's response was this, to live as Christ. You can kill me and I'm going to go with Jesus, but if you torture me, to live a life that's full of torture, it's just to live a life of Christ. And the, the mockers and the persecutors begin to say, we can't do anything with him. We can't kill him. We can't torture him. Because every time we do that, the gospel begins to spread like wildfire. It spread so far that he was in Jerusalem, and it spread all the way to Philippi, where he writes this letter, and he's telling them, come and hear what God is doing. The things learned, the things received, the things heard, and then ultimately the things seen. He breaks it down. Like I said, Paul breaks this thing down as, as bare as it possibly can get. And, and this is sort of James Safer theology here, this is what he says, talk is cheap. Come see, come and see, as the chosen video says, the chosen movies, come and see, don't just hear, but come and look and see and observe what God is doing. Paul is begging them to the point that those that he's modeled in his life, come and see what God is doing. Paul was saying you need to live in a manner that is consistent with Christ's life and with Christ's teaching. J. Dwight Pentecost said this. Maturity in the Christian is not measured by what a man knows, but by what a man does. Listen to that again. Maturity in a Christian is not measured by what a man knows, by what a man does. We can know a lot. I've got boxes of books in my office, and I've got bookshelves full. I buy new books all the time. I read books. I can know a lot of things. But the bottom line is, what are we doing to show that we love Christ? To show that the other people around us, that we love Christ. Where ultimately, they begin to ask us, why are you acting like that? Why are you happy? Why are you joyful? Why, do you, why did this circumstance happen, but yet you were still able to serve the Lord. We have that opportunity to tell others about Christ. So God's filter in our life, God's fulfillment in our life, and ultimately the last thing, the last promise that Paul gives here, and I'm an alliteration guy, so I alliterated, but the, look with me here in verse 9. The thing, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. He's telling us to do it. And then he gives us this last statement in verse 9, and the God of peace shall be with you. So, Bible terms, God of peace. We're talking of peace here, but for alliteration purposes, God's freedom in your life. God's freedom in your life. When Christ comes and, and he inhabits our life and he gives us eternal life that can live for him, we're not bound by the, the yoke of bondage. We're not bound by the yoke of the world. We're bound by freedom. And he breaks those chains off and he says, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you this thought of freedom in Christ. And as our musicians come and they can begin playing, I'm going to give us three simple points of what this peace does, what this freedom does in our life. Because you may be here thinking, I go through problems and I don't experience this freedom. I don't experience this peace that that you talk about. And I've, we've had some loss in our church. We've had some family members pass away. And we've had people who have went through hard times through cancer and losing their parents and losing their grandparents, and my my mind goes to one thought, and they're not here today. I didn't know they weren't going to be here, but just the other day in our middle school class, our high school boys class, Eric Sprinkle was sharing about his mom, Wilma. And this is what he said to our, our young men, our young boys, our middle school and high schoolers. He said, we prayed for mom to be healed. That was our prayer Every night, my family's on our knees and we're praying and we're saying, God, heal our mom. Bring her back to where she needs to be, where we can have that relationship with her. And he said, ultimately, as hard as it was losing mom, that healing came. He said, She was no longer bound by by the, the, the sickness that she had. He said, It's hard losing mom, but I'm thankful I know where she's at. I'm thankful that I can stand here today as hard as it is not having mom at the house, but knowing that she's with Jesus, knowing that she cares about God and and that she lived her life as an example for her three boys, the grandkids that she influenced, her brothers that she influenced. He said, that's the peace that God brings. When I read this verse here, and the God of peace shall be with you, that's what came to my mind. Was that story there? Because there's times where we pray for healing and healing comes in this physical life. There's times when it doesn't and we say, God, why? And God says that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you freedom. And what does this freedom bring? Three simple things it brings God's presence. God said, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be there beside you. Whether the healing comes here or later, I'm going to be beside you. He says, I'm going to bring power. That power may look different in each and every one of our lives, it may look like like this this overwhelming amount of just freedom and and, and ability to serve God, and some of us, that power may just be able to sleep at night, just be able to close our eyes and just be peaceful with Jesus. But the the third thing that God's freedom and peace brings is this, purpose. Young people, as you go off to college, everyone's going to ask you, what's your major? What are you going to do with life? Where are you going to get your job at? Some of us may not know. And that's fine. You don't have to have your life figured out when you're in third grade, contrary to popular belief. But what God does is He brings purpose. That purpose may simply just be to tell others about Him, wherever you're at. Whether it be at a convenience store, whether it be at a, a warehouse, whether it be at a doctor's office, whether it be on the police force whether it be an EMS worker, whether it be just taking pictures for a school, whether it may be a coach, whatever it may be, God said there's a purpose in your life and I've created you for a reason. As I shared with the middle schoolers this last week in closing, as I was at the middle school on Friday and we gave a devotion with 150 kids from East Middle there, I told them this, I said, every single person in here looks different. I said, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we don't have 150 redheaded headed Freckle-faced, four-eyed, white as white can get, fat boy. I'm glad we don't have 150 of them sitting out here. I said, all of you look different than me, and I'm thankful for that. Because what that tells me is God created you different for a purpose and for a reason. So our question today is, what's that purpose? Maybe it's just to tell people around you that you love Jesus and that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Whatever it may be, maybe your purpose today is just to simply trust and accept Him as your Savior. I don't know what that is. I know my purpose, and I know what God has planned for me—to be a pastor that raises His kids and His, to love on His wife as much as I possibly can, and hopefully my kids grow up and love the Lord and serve Him. It's my purpose. Your purpose is going to be different than mine, but I'm so thankful that He gives us that freedom. To fulfill our life and ultimately he has this filter system for us as we make those decisions thank you for listening please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio